Not every college startup is an app or a website. Michael Fishman and his friends launched Pure Cycles in the middle of a fall semester, and by winter break, their first shipment of bikes had arrived and they completely sold out before heading back to school. They did this by chipping in just a few thousand dollars each from their own pockets and all while carrying a full course load. Now they're selling thousands of bikes per month through their website and in bike shops, here and abroad, and have hired an impressively large team. We cover a lot in this conversation, from how they develop new products, protect their IP, and how they use social media and brand ambassadors to spread the word. If you want to launch a consumer product, Michael's thoughts on sales, marketing, and growth can help you get up and running quickly. by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Michael, you guys have Pure Cycles, which started out as Pure Fix, and I'm guessing that, because I, I can't remember, I know we've covered you guys all along, but was it fixed gear only or single speed only at the start? Yeah, so when we started, you know, we started with Pure Fix because our first product was primarily just focused on college students, so it was only single speed fixed gear bikes, and um, kind of was just really simple to understand what we were selling by calling ourselves Pure Fix, uh, and as we... Uh, grew and saw there are so many opportunities for us to attack different categories in the bike industry um, to make cool affordable bikes we decided to change the name to pure cycles so that um, the name wasn't limiting us and so yeah give us just a quick nutshell like what is the purpose of pure cycles because the bikes are very affordable yeah yeah so the, the main you know mission of our company is to get more people on bikes um and within that, you know, there's a lot of things that um, that we do to make that happen, such as make really affordable bikes so that the everyday person um, doesn't feel intimidated and, um, and can actually afford our bikes. And then uh, really a focus on making the bikes beautiful and look, making them look sleek and um, not always like super athletic looking um, where – uh, again, not to be intimidated and not feel like they have to wear spandex or um, you know, have prior bike knowledge before getting on our bikes. Okay. So what was the origin story for you guys? How did you come about starting Pure Fix and what was your educational background? Yeah, yeah. So the origin story was that we were, when I say me, me and Austin and Jordan, who are my best friends that I've known since kindergarten, grew up in Los Angeles together. Uh, we were in Madison, Wisconsin at college, um, and in seen, our senior year, uh, we were looking to start a business doing something, and we so we were all passionate about cycling, being outside, and riding our bike for fun, recreational purposes, and we saw that there were a bunch of college students riding used bikes, 
and um, very few college students going into bike shops to buy bikes because the nice looking bikes were six, seven hundred dollars and up. And uh, saw that was the opportunity that we saw to create a cool three hundred dollar bike for college students. Um, and so you know we did our research online, found some manufacturers who could make us um, really affordable single speed bikes. You know, single speed bikes are so perfect for college students because they're lightweight. And, um, you don't really have to maintain them, and, and um, they're a great uh, kind of like platform to customize. So, you know, younger people just love being able to make a bike their own. Uh, so we brought in some bikes, uh, 165 exactly, uh, and over winter break, uh, when we were home from Los Angeles from college, we ended up selling all those bikes in two weeks, um, and just realized that you know we didn't have to we didn't have to go look for jobs at the job fair. You know, this this <laughs> this was going to be our um, this is going to be our, you know, our, our career, uh, hope, hope, hope to be, you know, our long-term career. You know, I still remember sitting in class in Madison, Wisconsin and seeing our first models launched on bike rumor. You guys were our first press nice. and thinking like, wow, you know, this is, yeah, this is pretty surreal. You know, seeing our, our, you know, at that time it was just a sticker on a frame, you know, but that was the brand, um, you know, to, to see that online was pretty awesome. Yeah. So to turn it around that quick, it, it, you guys must've just been a pure, and I don't say this with a negative connotation, but just the catalog item out of um, presumably an Asian manufacturer. Cause, oh, for sure. And yeah, you don't uh, you don't really hide that. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, you know, uh, we knew what we were what we were really good at. You know, which was um, uh, being able to sell something to what well, we knew our target market was was college students and market to them and bring in uh, colors that that we knew they would like. Um, so, you know, we weren't really attacking that segment, um, that, that like 99% of the bike industry is attacking, which is like the, the race, you know, selling a bike to someone who already has a bike. Um, that segment, we were, we were selling bikes to people that maybe hadn't ridden a bike in 10 years. So we weren't focused on selling the spec or, um, you know, we weren't focused on engineering our own, like, or creating our own new geometry to make the, the performance better, but more so just making the bike cool looking and, and, um, kind of just promote the community that biking um, lends itself to, which you know, which is just being healthy, being outside, being with your buddies, um, and uh, and with a single speed bike, you know, with such also affordable single speed bike, that there, there, there's not really much you could do to reinvent the wheel, anyways. Um, but you know, with all that said, as we've grown, you know, and we and we've we've turned, you know, a hundred thousand plus bike riders, uh, people who weren't riding bikes into bike riders, you know, um, and we've learned more about bikes ourselves. You know, we, we have, um, started to create bikes that are doing all those things that we weren't doing at first. You know, now we have product managers and people within our company who come, um, being in the bike industry for a long time and we are, um, creating our own commuter bikes and road bikes and even single speed bikes that do have their own geometry and that are more comfortable and that do lend themselves better to longer rides and, um, um, and have you know better customizable features than than other bike companies. So it's been a nice progression to be able to start um, from kind of being more just like a marketing sales company to actually uh, you know developing ourselves with Pure Cycles to being a company that is making unique product as well as doing all those other cool things um, to get people excited about bikes. All right, cool. I want to we'll touch on that like growing from you know a, a, a kind of a stock item to your own designs sure. in a bit, but 
you guys being cyclists before you started this, was there any kind of hesitation in kind of procuring and selling a, a cheap bike? Because, you know, if you, as an avid cyclist and somebody who geeks out on the really high and techie stuff, normally you look at like a high 10 steel bike and you're like, ugh, you know, like who's going to ride that? But it seems like you guys were really approaching this more as a strictly a business and not as much of a, I hate to say not a passion thing because you guys are passionate about it, but it's, you know, like a pure passion play would have been that super techie or sure. cool or something really unique. I mean, the, you know, when we first, when we first started, like when I say that we were cyclists, you know, we were more so just riding for fun, not cyclists in, in the sense where like the, the industry calls themselves cyclists, like racers and actually knowing the difference between, you know, chromoly or high 10, you know, we were, we weren't cyclists in the sense that, um, that we were trying to, to create this extremely nice product that already existed in the market. You know, our main focus was really to create something um, that got people excited that weren't cyclists, um, because you know that that's where our that's what we saw around Madison, Wisconsin. The people were they know the majority of people in my classes um, didn't really know the difference at all between chromoly and high ten. So you know, it really what started as this opportunity um, to sell cool looking bikes to people. And as we, we grew the company, our passions grew and our riders' passions grew. And that's kind of where we started to branch out to, um, to bring in higher quality bikes. Right on. And, and just for the non-cycling uh, geeks listening, you know, High 10 is kind of a, a cheaper, much heavier version of steel, whereas Chrome always can, can be much lighter and definitely more expensive. And so... You know, like in my mind, the high ten bikes are the ones you get at Walmart, and then you know, as you move to a bike shop, it's rare to see those any frames or parts made out of that. And so it's like I'm curious from a durability standpoint, th does that stuff hold up? Yeah, I mean that's that's the beauty of it too, is that you know people get so down on chromoly versus high ten, and sure, the high ten is is heavier. Um, there's no doubt about it, but at the same time, we have people in our office who have been riding our, our same, the same bikes, the same high 10 bikes that we first came out with, um, for the past four years. Um, you know, we, like I said, we sold over a hundred thousand bikes over the past six years. Um, and we've never had a recall. Um, nice. you know, and we and we're still working with one of the same manufacturers that we've worked with from the very beginning. Um, even though we were bringing in bikes, uh, that were really, you know, affordable and, and usually the, the most affordable in a bike shop. Um, we never, like there were, there were opportunities for us to work with manufacturers that were, um, that were really extremely terrible that we, you know, that we, that we turned down, um, that were really cheap. So, you know, we have always focused on quality and we've always had quality control, um, since day one, you know, we've gone over there to visit factories, hired people in the bike industry who, um, who could help us with quality control, um, with factories. So, that's that's always been a huge focus on us to make sure the bikes are safe and that they hold up. Well, how did you do that when you first started? Did you guys before you ordered those first three hundred frames? Did you actually go over to China and check out the factory? After, so all the all that stuff happened. All the quality control stuff happened that after that first production. The, the, the first production was all over Skype. Um, we found a manufacturer on Alibaba actually, and um, just asked him. You know, showed him some pictures. This. So a bunch of different manufacturers. This is the bike that we want to create. 
um, went through the, the spec file with all of them, found the manufacturer we thought seemed the most professional on Skype. Um, and the first production, we weren't even there. Um, and as soon as we brought the bikes in, we brought them to a bunch of bike shops around Los Angeles, um, had them all tested, saw that the quality was great. And then, like I said, they just started selling within two weeks. Um, after we started ordering more and more bikes after that, we used just uh, contacts from like our parents' friends um, who were doing business in China, found some QC agents to visit the factories, um, and kind of just went from there. But that, fir- that first production was um, – was extremely risky to be able to uh, to, tr- you know, to trust that initial manufacturer. Yeah. So, did you guys bring that first shipment into a port in California? Then. Yeah, we brought it into Long Beach. Were you guys? Uh, was it like summer break? Because you were still in school when the first shipment yeah. arrived, right? Yeah, it was over winter break. Winter so, break. Yeah. So we ordered the bikes in like September, like really the first semester of senior year, um, like the first month, and then got them in winter break and when we were in Los Angeles, which was pretty convenient and, and literally sold them all out, um, while we were, while we were still home. That's crazy. Are you guys, um, where are you based now? You're not a California company now. No, we are. Yeah. We're based in Burbank. Oh, you are. Okay. Well, man, you're up early for this interview then. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. I was thinking you're on East coast time. Right. On. Okay. So the manufacturing stuff, um, kind of covered. How did you go from, creating or, or ordering a catalog bike to creating your own what were some of the first steps yeah i mean the, the first steps were just being able to talk to our customers and seeing that people wanted something better um and after that we we kind of all got together me austin and jordan said you know we got to hire some people who um who know about you know creating our own our own geometry creating our own types um, of bikes that are going to give our customers better rides so we started interviewing product managers, started bringing in um, some sales guys who had been in the bike industry for a long time, who had um, a lot of industry knowledge, uh, talking to bike shops and finding out um, what they really want, um, and just bringing in people who are smarter than us, um, and also working with better factories overseas. So we've since um, uh, changed manufacturers and diversified, not just to have one manufacturer making all of our bikes, but um, different manufacturers who specialize in different types of bike models. Um, you know, we, we know what we're good at, uh, Jordan, Austin and I, you know, and, um, and it's important for us to, to definitely have people in our company who are smarter than us at, um, uh, at different, at, at different things and, and, you know, the bike, um, creation and, and forming our, our own, um, our own models is, is not something that we specialize in. How quickly was that transition? What, what year did you guys start and then what year? How long did it take before you were designing and creating your own things? Yeah, so we started in 2010, got our first bikes in that January 2011, um, and we were selling just that standard off-the-shelf off the shelf, um, single-speed bike. And then in 2013, um, the end of 2013 is when we started to um, uh, started to make some more unique, you know, our own our own type of um, bikes. What was the hiring process between that startup when it was just the three of you guys and getting to that point? Because I was looking on your website before we started and you got a lot of people. Like I'm surprised at how many people are at your company. Yeah, the hiring process was, you know, just like, um, you know, in any other any other startup. Um, you know, in the beginning, Jordan Austin and I were, were handling the customer service, the sales, the shipping, um, you know, first 
first person that we that we brought on, uh, you know, was a warehouse guy. Um, but more, you know, things. What you're asking is like, like, how did we bring on people in the bike industry? Um, you know, I think they also people who are deep in the bike industry who have been there for 20 years that we ended up hiring, like our first sales manager, our first product manager. Um, you know, they were support. They said the same thing. Like, God, how do you guys have so many people? Um, you know, at your, at your company, I think everyone is just so surprised that because we're, we kind of focused on um, things in, in complete backwards that then to the companies that they were at, where we're more focused on kind of engaging the community and focused more um, on the marketing side of things, more so than like this the sport or making like you know the bikes that their buddies are going to geek out at. Um, and uh, making bikes more affordable. So, you know, as soon as they saw like, oh wow, like this is really opening things up for the industry and um, you know, you really, you really are getting more people on bikes, you know, they got really excited about it. Um, so, you know, it, it, was, it was pretty fun being able to, to get these people in and, and kind of sh show them the way we're doing things and, and now we're kind of flourishing with, the, with these people and, and changing attitudes. So the, I mean, people are expensive, and especially in California. Um, what was the, where did the startup capital come from for you guys to get that first order of bikes? And then from there, how were you growing? Were you growing on revenues, or have you guys brought in investments? Yeah, so the initial capital was just from um, the co-founders. You know, we ordered 165 bikes. It wasn't all that much money. Put in a, a couple thousand dollars each. Um, stuff that we had saved up from our bar mitzvahs or from, you know, just like random jobs over the summer. Um, once the bikes landed for that, for that first year, you know, we were selling through as soon as every time bikes landed, we were selling through them. We were just reinvesting all of the, the profits into buying more and more bikes. Um, we had free off free warehouse space, um, in Los Angeles with, um, my partner Austin's dad's like, uh, furniture business. Um, he had a bunch of extra storage. And then, um, after that first year, you know, we ordered 165 bikes at 300, 600, then like 900 then 1200. And as soon as we started to want to order like 1200, um, that required a, a ton of, a ton of cash. Um, and through that first year we didn't hire any employees. So, um, it's not like we needed cash for, for them, but the inventory is really expensive. Um, and we had some investors approach us, um, after that first year and they were seeing how well we were doing. Um, and we raised our first round, um, right about 13 months after we started the company. Um, and then we were also able to find a small business bank in Los Angeles who was interested, um, in giving us a small line of credit to be able to, to finance some of our inventory. Um, and then, you know, shortly after that, at the first year we hired our first, you know, warehouse employees. So we didn't have to be shipping, you know, labeling and shipping bikes anymore. Um, and then ever since we've had relationships with banks all throughout, um, uh, Southern California and, um, you know, it's, it's been hugely important for us because, you know, as, as you know, the bike, um, industries is, uh, um, has a product that is, is, has such long lead time. So, um, just, just completely capital intensive. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of, that's kind of where the funding came from. So the lead times, though, it sounds like, I mean, my guess is the lead times is when you start getting into designing your own things, because the, the catalog bikes, you guys turned those around in a couple months from the time you decided to do it and ordered to the time they were sitting in California ready to sell. Definitely. definitely. Well, I mean, you know, when we're, when you're, even with like catalog bikes, when you're ordering, um, 
smaller quantities than other people. You know, the lead time could still be, you know, 60 days, um, you know, and then 15 days on the water. So 75 days, that's, that's still, you know, a, a good amount of time, um, especially if you have to pay up front um, or put big down payments when you're not, when you're not a known company. Um, so that still ties up your capital if you're, you know, even if you're a little small company. Um, but yeah, sure. As, as we've grown and we've, and we've made non-catalog bikes, now we have bikes that have up to five, six months lead time. And, and that's, um, you know, it's completely, totally different ball game. I want to switch gears a little bit to the marketing of it. When you got those first couple of rounds of bikes in the, the stock ones, what did you guys do to sell them? How did you get the word out? Yeah, so when we first got the bikes in, you know, we were telling all of our all of our buddies who needed bikes. Um, but the the thing that surprised us the most um, is just creating this completely basic website, um, and then just start shouting shouting the word out on Twitter and Facebook. Anyone who you know had hashtag bike or or had done any tags to like single speed or fixed gear, and just shooting them direct messages, shouting our brand out there and just seeing people coming to our website and buying, um, at first was, was pretty shocking. Um, the other thing that was really interesting to us was just making a really basic catalog and, and just cold, just like cold calling or cold showing up to bike shops in Los Angeles. Um, and just seeing their reaction to the bikes and how like, God, you know, I, I don't have anything in my shop that's even below $500. Um, and leaving the bikes there because you know, they're not wanting to buy them, but I was just convincing them to, to take them on consignment and coming back like the next week and seeing that they sold like that day that we left them. Um, but just seeing that initial reaction of bike shops being like, shit, you know, we should have lower priced bikes in our shops, you know, and, and get that customer to realize, um, you know, they should be buying bike from bike shops and then kind of graduating that customer up and, and just getting bike shops excited about our brand and our product. Um, so the, those are the two ways, on way, online and then just to the independent bike shops. So what is the retail strategy? Because I was thinking you guys were consumer direct only. Yeah, the, re, the retail strategy from us has always been omni-channel since the very beginning. Um, you know, we realized that different buyers have different buying habits. Um, some people only shop online and we want to be for that be there for that customer that feels comfortable that way. Um, and then we also realized that bikes are, are a product that needs service. Um, maybe not initially to build because the person could build their own bike, but eventually they're going to find their, they should find their way back into a bike shop to make sure the bike rides as good as possible. Um, so that's why we have a network of 500 plus independent bike shops uh, around the world, actually, that, um, that service and sell our bikes. Um, so you guys, and, you guys figured out the margins and all that, and because I mean that's what always amazes me is that there's room for retail margins and then room for you guys to make money and still make a bike and sell it for three hundred bucks, and and you guys aren't even the most expensive uh, like entry level bikes out there, but um, so that was an, that was a plan from the get go was pricing and all that, yeah, to be able yeah. to sell them at retail. Yeah, do you guys go through distributors at all also, or do you ship direct to retail? No, no, we're our own distributor. You know, because um, you know, our goal is is really to offer like the best quality product at the best price. Um, and we feel like retailers are a very important piece in in our um, in our brand story and in in the evolution of our of our product and our brand. Um, and you know, it's it's so important that someone gets their bike built up correctly, and it's so important that people maintain their bike, or else they're not going to have fun on it. Um, they're going to say it's broken or that you know the bike's a piece of crap. Um, and 
like you said, that we have a bunch of competitors that are way lower priced than us. Um, and it's because they're not going through shops or they're not giving shops appropriate margins. Um, you know, we're, we are very conscious about the ecosystem that is the, the, the bicycle industry ecosystem and making sure that, you know, we're good partners to our shops. Um, you know, and, and we've been doing this omni-channel thing since the beginning. So we're very, we're very aware of, um, you know, what makes shops really pissed off and, and, you know, how to, how to, um, operate, you know, with shops while selling online and making them happy. Um, well, I think one of the interesting things you guys did for people who aren't going into the shop that are ordering direct is you offer a, a like 99% built bike shipped. They basically just pull it out of the bike's box and uh, tighten one or two bolts and they're ready to roll, which plays in really, really well to the intended audience of somebody who's maybe not going into a bike shop and just wants to get on a bike quick and easy. Yeah, I mean, with with the single speed bikes, um, they're extremely easy to maintain and to assemble, which is also why we went into that area when we were trying to think of God, what's the perfect bike for a college student when we first started. The um, as we've started to bring out more bikes, like our city bikes or our road bikes or our urban commuter bikes, um, you know, those ha- those lend themselves to um, to almost need to be built by someone um, who has who has uh, mechanic experience. Um, so that's where we leverage our bike shop. So if, you, if you're checking out online and you don't feel like you can build your bike, you can select an option to pay $75 and have the bike shop build it for you. Um, and all 75 of those dollars goes right to the bike shop. Um, and then if you feel like you don't even want to leave your house um, and you're, you're so like, you know, uh, you're so on that Amazon model where you know you order it and the next day it shows up at your house ready to be used. Um, we have an option where you pay $125 and it's completely white glove service where the bike shop will assemble it and bring it to your house. Um, and our our shops, um, most of our shops have been extremely excited about these programs because we're pretty much just give, we're giving them money first of all to build a bike that doesn't take them more than 30 minutes, um, and we're giving them a, a lot of money for that. And we're also just putting a customer right in their hands that, that didn't know their shop existed. Um, and then now they have the opportunity to show them, you know, why they created their bike shop in the first place. Um, and, and you know, why that they are important to the community and show them that they can sell them other stuff down the line. All right. So switch back to marketing a little bit. Um, how has your marketing strategy evolved as you guys have grown? What are you doing differently? Yeah. I mean, so, when we first started, we were selling extremely simple product. It was way, it was, we weren't selling more a bike, but more so just like a lifestyle, um, and something that looked cool. And as we've evolved and come out with more and more models, it's really complicated, um, the strategy because we have to, we really have to focus on more education, um, and focus on uh, telling people which bike is right for them. Um, now that we have all these different models. So, you know, we, we, we put a huge focus on making sure that people understand why we make primarily make steel bikes, why that rides more comfortable, um, educating people on, um, you know, now that we have seven different sizes, um, for, for most of our single speed bikes and, you know, six different sizes for our road bikes and different sizes for the city bikes, explaining people what the best bike fit is. Um, you know, when we first started, we had one to two, two sizes in the very beginning. So that, um, um, this just put a lot more, uh, a lot, lot more pressure on us to, to be educating the customer. 
Um, and since the very beginning, our strategy has been making biking unintimidating and making uh, making it for everyone. So, you know, if you take a look at our website, you look at our blog, we have tons of how-to stuff. Um, almost every product that we sell, um, we have a blog that explains how to assemble it yourself or, you know, why it's assembled this way or what are the best uses of it. Um, and really, and really just... Um, focus on making sure people are getting the best out of their bike um, and, and really enjoying it the most. And I think that all starts with, with education. Um, so, you know, we also have YouTube series called Pure Fix TV or Pure Cycles TV that, ex that people can, um, can watch videos on YouTube of um, how-to stuff because we found that, um, that that gets better play than people reading blogs. Um, and, uh, yeah. Speaking of the blogs, I was looking at that earlier too, and it's there's a lot of lifestyle type content on there, and so you know I keep reading more and more about how for brands content marketing is key, and I'm I'm really curious that like everybody says every brand has to be a storyteller these days, but does that stuff move the needle for you guys? Is it worth the effort? Definitely, definitely it is. I mean, there's so much competition online nowadays with people selling bikes. Um, and to go back to the word you can, you keep on saying like catalog bikes, um, the same way, just building a website and, you know, having product to sell to us isn't enough. Um, and also to, to Google it, it, it isn't enough. So if you want to be ranking high up, um, on, on search pages, you know, having this content, having this blog, um, I think it's, it's extremely important. Um, and even other than ranking, just having all this content on the site, is a place for people to kind of get lost and to um, really understand who you are as a company. Um, so, you know, we to having the content on our site gets people to be on our site for longer, um, gets them to kind of just like explore, explore and uh, learn on our site. Um, and then we try to make the content really unique. Um, you know, we have someone, uh, we have a couple of people whose main job it is just to, to be writing content and to, um, to be educating our customers. Um, and the content is very unique to our brand. Uh, it's it's um, it's on our voice, and it's um, and it's it's something that I think has, has definitely been a huge part of the success of our company. All right. And then one of the things I noticed was the draft meetups. Tell me about those. Yeah. So in addition to um, you know to this content, it's really important for us to get engaged with the community within Los Angeles. Um, so the draft was something that. Uh, that we started about eight months ago with People for Bikes, and we have, um, which we is a big up. advocacy group for the people cyclists that or non-cyclists listening. People for Bikes is a big advocacy group that promotes getting more people on bikes and people using bikes as transportation. And I, I think they're they're involved somewhat with uh, lobbying lobbying for uh, transportation funds and infrastructure as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So I got involved with People for Bikes like a year ago. I went out to their office and I saw in Denver um, that they did a draft meetup and they had like 400 people um, wow. at the draft meetup and they, they had like like free beer and there was free food and they were having these TED style um, talks. They had speakers from around the Denver community and, and uh, from the Boulder community who were just talking about, you know, how they're, how they're making um, – biking safer in their community. They had people from the government. They had like entrepreneurs coming out to talk about it. So, you know, our goal was to bring this to Los Angeles and to really engage um, people in our community. Um, and it's been really cool because we've been able to open up our own space. We like transformed one of our warehouses to be, just be this like open big space with 
um, with a big projector and a bunch of seating uh, to be able to show people what we're doing, bring them in. Um, and we've hosted uh, three of them now. And we've had people such as like the director of the LACDC. Um, we've had people from Cowbike. Um, we've had some awesome bike entrepreneurs like uh, Zwift come in and speak. Um, and at this last draft, we had over 200 people there. Um, we had free beer from Golden Road and free tacos. And, you know, it's way more than just about like the speaking um, as well. Like the people are just hanging out at the office, you know, until like 11 p.m., just drinking and having fun with each other and, and realizing that there's so many people in Los Angeles that really do love bikes and really are excited about making biking better. Um, and be, being able to, to be that connector has been really fun. Cool. Okay, I want to, again, I feel like I keep jumping back to marketing. Um, so beyond the content marketing and the, the educational materials, you know, the videos and blog posts that you guys are doing, what are some of the nitty gritties? Like, are you guys focused on social media stuff or something else? Yeah, we're, we're extremely focused on, on like, social media. Like, how do you sure. use it? Yeah, I mean, we, we use it by... Um, we use it mostly the best the best thing that we most like about it is connecting with our fans um, and being able to share their video their photos of um, of them riding our bikes. So like every week we do a writers of the week um, blog that shows all the the best photos of people posting. Um, we also use it to um, for for ads to be able to serve ads to people who don't yet know about our brand. Um, so people who like cycling and um, are talking about cycling, we can serve ads directly to them um, to show them that we exist and to show them that um, we have products that we think they'll like. So is it kind uh, of as, as simple as that? Is, I, I'm just making this up totally, but like Facebook ads, you just choose people who like cycling or have expressed interest in cycling and it kind of gets the job done for you or is there some way you guys are hacking that or special? Yeah, you know, on a, on a very basic level, that's right. But within that, you can get really... Um, you get really granular, like, you know, you only want to focus on some people who are in, um, who are in a specific area because you're seeing that though, there's a lot of those people from that area are coming to the website or you only want to focus on some people who are in a particular city or state because that's where it's warm at this point of time. Um, or you only want to focus on people who have looked at maybe a particular competitor in the industry, um, who they like that page and, and you, you think you have better stuff. So you want to show them, um, you want to show them your brand. So, you know, that's like a very, you know, you, you can go so many different places, which is, which is pretty cool. Right. What about a demo program or anything like external hands-on kind of getting it in front of people? Yeah. Well, because we have so many bike shops carrying our product, um, we really do push our customers to go into bike shops to be able to test ride or touch and feel. Um, and then from there, you know, we let the we let those customers make the decision on if they want to buy from the bike shop or if they feel more comfortable buying online. Um, you know, we also have our headquarters. We have a shop open in Burbank uh, where we encourage people to come in and, and touch and feel the bike. Um, we also do open streets events all around Los Angeles um, so that we're all, we're all, we try to be, you know, um, as many places as we can so that people can touch and feel and demo the bike. Um, so like Cyclavia that happens every quarter um, and then now, even more recently, in the, in the summer, um, it's just a huge open streets event um, in Los Angeles where there's over hundreds of thousands of people um, all just biking, biking and, and using, um, using streets that are normally dominated by cars for just walking and riding. So that's been really cool for us to connect with more people or 
we're about to be sponsoring Denver Bike Night, um, the, the tr really popular cruiser ride, um, which is now changing to be a monthly ride in the summer. So we'll get more people um, around and interested in the brand. So do you have reps out in the field then in those areas? You know, because Denver is a little bit of a hike for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we uh, we have independent sales reps that go into our bike shops and who um, who service our bike shops and make sure make sure that we're opening new shops and our bikes are on the floor. But as far as um, like, you know, more like brand advocates is, is what you're talking about. You know, we have a, we have a ton of people who just uh, who just love our product and who we're in constant communication with via social media and via email. Um, it's not so much like a, a formal um, like, you know, rep, uh, like a, agreement, but more just people who just love our bike. And as we go to do Denver Bike Night, for example, we're going to rely on some of these these uh, brand advocates to help us um, maybe even set up booths. And, you know, um, you know, as we do more of these events, I think we're going to formalize more of a more of a program to um, to get these, these type of people who just love our brand to help us. Yeah. How do you cultivate this type of brand ambassadors? And then how do you compensate them for the time to yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the cultivation happens by just making good product and putting ourselves out there on social media um, and then just forming direct relationships with them. So we have people at our, our company who um, are constantly, you know, just talking, you know, seeing that, oh, God, this, this guy or girl really likes our product. You know, let's get in touch with them um, and just being really open and, you know, connecting with them uh, person to person and um, compensating them is by way of, free product it's really it's really different you know with with different people seeing what they want whether it's money or different product or um, giving them discount codes that they can share with their buddies you know some some people kind of just value different things uh, most people you know most brand advocates aren't in it to, um, to to make a ton of money they just love the brand they love our mission they love what what our company's all about cool so and then most recently and Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm like, cut this out if I'm wrong. But uh, you guys launched an e-bike, right? Yeah. And yes. that was a Kickstarter thing? Yep. Yeah, uh, so we've been working. Uh, go ahead. Well, how did it go? Yeah, it went really well. We've been working on an electric bike um, for the past, like, four years. You know, we just thought it was a natural progression for the brand. We were trying to get more people on bikes, and especially people who maybe hadn't been on a bike for a long time. and who were just so intimidating with riding a bike um, because they didn't want to arrive sweaty or they, they there were too many hills. There were just so many obstacles. And we saw, you know, this electric bike um, uh, trend really coming about, especially in Europe. Um, so, you know, our goal with our electric bike was to make it really, really simple um, to have like no huge displays, to have barely any cables um, and to make it look just like a normal bike. Um, so, we worked with some consultants. We worked with our manufacturer overseas that we've been doing business for a long time, um, and then our designers to create um, this bike that is extremely unique. Uh, it's only 35 pounds. Um, you can barely tell that it's an electric bike. The battery's hidden in the top two. Uh, we're using a rear hub motor, so you barely even see that as well. Um, there's internal cables, so it's you know it doesn't look anything remote, remotely. Um, like like the normal electric bikes that you see on the streets today, um, and it's only pedal assist as well. So you ride it just like a normal bike. There's no directions that you need to give someone when you go on to ride our electric bike. Basically, you get on and ride like a normal bike. Um, we have really high quality torque sensors in the bike, so the the feeling of the acceleration is uh, is amazing. 
And um, we decided to launch it on Kickstarter because it's just a really good platform um, to hit a bunch of to 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 show our bike and our and our brand to a bunch of early adopters. You know, the the, the customers on Kickstarter um, uh, are are people who who just love who love technology, who love new things, who love bikes. Um, and uh, it's just been really great for us for, for people to kind of to share um, uh, to share a brand and get to know us. Um, the other thing that's awesome about Kickstarter is it's all um, pre-orders. So as you know, electric bikes are extremely expensive. Um, you know, way way more than the current product that we have. So our product um, that puts just a lot a lot more stress on the the inventory of this product and the manufacturing of this product and opening molds for this product. Um, and and uh, Kickstarter gives us, you know, the flexibility to create a uh, to create a better product to get money in the door before we even have to go into production. Cool. So, would you guys uh, design a new product like this? I'm curious because I just got back from the Taipei Cycle Show. You know, you walk around and there's a lot of manufacturers on putting products on display. You know, they create an e-bike frame or they find a way of integrating a battery or. Whatever it is, it doesn't even have to be an e-bike. You know, they're they're trying to show off their capabilities by producing something unique for the show. Do you guys walk around those types of shows and say, "Hey, you know that looks good. Let's do that," or do you just completely blank slate your own designs and then go and find somebody that can make it? Yeah, no, we're we're uh, we're doing we're doing a little bit of both. I mean, we're definitely trying to uh, keep updated. Uh, and and see all the trends that are happening, and then just take different pieces of what we like, and and say, you know, we like that, but we wish it was like this, and just using that for inspiration, um, and then going to our manufacturer and working with our um, with our product manager and our internal designers to uh, to create something that's unique to us. Um, but you know, we're we're def- we're always looking at, at other people's stuff for inspiration. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask you know, about there's, that. There's you... a ton. Of, there's a ton of people in the bike industry who are doing such awesome stuff. Um, so it would it would be stupid for us not to be, um, you know, to, to be to be looking at other other things. Yeah, I was gonna ask about the unique to us stuff because you know you go to these shows and sometimes you see basically the same exact frame in like five or six different people's booths. Um, do you guys protect your IP in any way or your designs in any way? You know, that's that's uh, it's been really difficult for us to do. I mean, you know, as much money as you, as you try to put in to do that, um, at the end of the day, you know, with, with so many different bike manufacturers and factories in China, um, it, uh, it kind of becomes impossible for a small brand like us to, uh, to really do that, you know, so we put our, our energy and our focus on, um, on the branding side of things and the marketing to make sure that when people see this bike, um, they, they know, you know, it's a pure cycles bike. Um, you know, that's, that's where we focus most of our energy on. Cool. So for somebody who wanted to build a consumer product, kind of follow your footsteps, maybe in a different category, what are two or three pieces of advice you'd give? And then what are, you know, one or two of your biggest challenges and how you ever overcame them? Yeah, I think the, the, the thing I would say is ship it. Like, you know, if you have, <laughs> if, if you have this idea, um, don't be so worried about like the, um, uh, the, the, the nerds in your space, like the, the, the biggest enthusiasts.
enthusiasts who are going to, um, you know, to say, you know, why did you make your product like this? You know, be confident in the product that that you want to bring in, and know that, you know, your the product's going to evolve a lot more from your initial, um, from your initial product. So um, if you're passionate about the product that you want that you want to bring in, you know, bring it in. Um, sell it by any means, even if you have to sell it for costs, and just use and, and talk to experts within your industry to keep on improving that product. Um, and know that the first maybe manufacturer you're going to work with isn't going to be the best, but you know you have to start somewhere. Um, and no matter how much research you do, you know sometimes you can have like analysis, you know, like like you can be paralyzed by by yeah. so much um, by so much information, you know. At the end of the day, you just have to bring in your product, sell it, and you're never you're going to learn the most from your from your um, uh, from your customers who are giving you feedback from your initial sale, and then from your retailers who you're selling it to. If if you are going um, through a wholesale channel, um, so that that's my biggest advice is just do it. You know, don't uh, don't be so hung up by people telling you that um, you know you could do something better or that you know uh, people aren't going to like it or you know whatever. Just do it. Um, you know the, the pitfalls you know that we've had um, over the years you know there's there's always been cash flow issues just because um, we sell to so many bike shops and they don't do pre-orders so you, you have to just stock inventory and um, you know as we've come out with more SKUs and come out with more more bike models and accessories it's just put um, put a lot of pressure to um, on cash but that's just kind of the nature of our business um, and then uh, you know the process of just releasing new product. You know that that's always been just a, a difficult uh, thing, thing I think for anyone um, of of knowing which product to come out with next. And you know again, the advice is just you know bring it out quickly and uh, and get feedback. Yeah, how do you do that? What kind of market research do you guys do to figure out what the next model should be? Yeah, we really rely on our internal um, our internal team the most. You know our customers. We try to hire people at our company who love bikes. Um, and who um, uh, who who love getting their friends on bikes and who love riding bikes themselves. So we really like to create um, like an open forum within our company. So we have our customer service guys, our sales guys, our product manager. Um, everyone just come together and say, you know, what what bike would we want to ride? What bike would we want to recommend our friends to ride? Um, you know, the way that our brand is going now with Pure Cycles is is to be this go to commuter brand. Um, we're, we're creating more functional bikes um, and affordable bikes to ride to work or ride for for um, uh, for adventure or, or ride really within urban cities and towns. So um, that's that's kind of where we're going next. So you know the most recent bikes we came out with were this electric bike um, and this urban commuter bike and this road bike. Um, and now we're going to just uh, focus on those segments and come out with different uh, uh, different variations of those bikes. Is that hard to maintain that focus when you see, you know, like the whole gravel bike scene is blowing up and that's all anybody wants to talk about? Is it hard to say, yeah, oh man, should we do a gravel bike or just say, nope, this is, this is what we're doing? Yeah, no, it, it definitely, it definitely is hard to maintain that focus. Um, you know, there's so many different directions that you can go in, especially when you, when you are asking your employees, for example, you know, what bike you want to see next, you know, everyone shouts out a million things. Um, <laughs> But you know, we, we uh, we're we're definitely um, you know trying to trying to stay focused on on, uh, on what we're doing. It's it's hard, but it's uh, you know it's uh, it's possible. Right. Do you, is that um, that focus? Is it kind of like 
that's because it's what you guys are known for and that's you want to kind of stick to the brand ethos or is it more just like well we we don't have the capital to go into every category we'd like so here's where we're going to focus like what's the why are you keeping it focused on that urban city commuter type bike um yeah i mean just just I mean, for, for both those reasons, I mean, the, the capital to, uh, to market your product, a um, bunch of different products is, is, is extremely, extremely capital intensive. I mean, you know, to, um, to let people know that you're doing, you know, mountain bikes and road bikes and cruisers and, and electric bikes. Um, that's just a, a ton of money to be spending. And we don't, we don't, don't have all those, all those people. And then even more importantly, um, you know, the, the more focus that you can get on a, on a, on a product, um, the more you can really focus on those customers within that product and really just create this like ecosystem, um, of, of people and really just focus on them more and, and be able to be known for that one thing, you know, that's kind of more important for us at, at this, at this current time. Yeah. So when you first started this thing, the three of you guys sitting there, like how big did you think it could become or what was the, what was the big picture goal at, at that point? Yeah, I mean, the big picture goal at that point was to uh, to sell at every college, to have every college student riding a pure fixed bike. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we we had no idea. You know, we thought maybe the hundred, the first hundred sixty five bikes that we would sell, uh, would sell in six months, um, and you know, and that we would probably have jobs and you know maybe do this part time. Um, you know, we we had no idea. You know, so did you bikes. go back to school after winter break and just sitting in class wondering why you were sitting there? Absolutely, man. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we, we, it was extremely hard to be focused, hard to focus in class, you know, regardless. But you know, when you have this business, it's just selling stuff like gangbusters. It's, uh, uh, I couldn't focus on anything but bikes. I bet, man. So how has that vision changed then now, you know, what, yeah. uh, seven years later? Yeah, the vision used to be just, you know, selling bikes to college students. And now, you know, like the mission of the company, um, like I said earlier, is, is to get more people on bikes. And, you know, that's the vision um, is is when people think of, you know, cool, affordable um, bikes to get around town, they're thinking about pure cycles. Um, and, you know, we we feel really strongly that um, there is not a brand out there that's really focused on on um, on connecting directly with customers and, and focused on on um, creating affordable really nice looking bikes and we can be that brand um that's focusing uh that's getting their attention um so we've been around for six years and, and we have a long way to go uh, and it's and it's really exciting now that we're creating uh, much more functional bikes and creating much more comfortable bikes um and uh and within this electric bike space and this road bike space and this urban bike space uh we're going to be creating some really really cool products that we that we have in uh having the pipeline right now nice cool all right where can people find you online or elsewhere yeah people can find us at purecycles.com uh people could find us in our bike shops and our dealer locator on that they can find on purecycles.com um and then you know we also have a office and warehouse in in rotterdam uh in the netherlands people can find us they can go there and find us at, at uh, purecycles.eu um, and our dealer locator for europe is there as well um, and if you're ever in Los Angeles or in Burbank, please come by you know, and, uh, and check out our headquarters. Oh man, you just opened up a whole can of question worms for me. Then with the EU thing, uh, how hard was it to expand overseas? Yeah. So we, when we were, um, 
in business for about three years. In, in 2014, we saw that we just had so much interest in Europe, and we were going to Eurobike every year just to learn more about the the bike industry um, and see what other companies were doing. Um, and over the over the times of just going to Eurobike, we had met this guy um, who who was a former mountain biker and who uh, had his own uh, distribution company in um, in Latvia in Riga and um, he was just really interested in our bikes and kept on saying you know I want to be a distributor for you guys um, and we were trying to go through the distributor um, kind of process within Europe and seeing that if we sold to a distributor who then sold to a bike shop who then sold to the end consumer our pricing was just going to be so out of whack because you know our, our focus really is to to make our bikes really affordable um, and you know it would look a little funny if our bikes were selling for 600 euros, whereas in the U.S. they're selling for like 350 dollars. Um, so we realized that if we wanted to attack Europe, we had to do it um, with our own distribution, direct distribution, just like as we're doing in uh, in the U.S. So we ended up contacting this guy Eddie and saying, "Hey, I know you want to distribute for us, but how about you move to the Netherlands?" Um, to Rotterdam where we want to open up our own office and run our office there and hire employees and have our own company and, and handle our distribution, launch a European website, um, and then also go after bike shops. Um, and you know, he, uh, he's a young guy, he's, he's about, uh, 28, 29 and, uh, moved him and his wife to, to Rotterdam and, uh, we've been running our business there for the last three years. So, all right, a couple questions. Why Rotterdam? And then also... Is that out of that office? Are you guys distributing throughout a lot of Europe, or focused on the Netherlands? Yeah, we chose uh, the Netherlands and Rotterdam in particular because Rotterdam has the biggest port in Europe. Um, there's also a lot of good kind of trade relationships and uh, company you know, formation. Um, uh, uh, kind of like it's it's much more flu- more more fluid process. Um, uh, with with creating a new company in the Netherlands and being a U.S. company, um, so that's the reason why we we launched there. Also, because most people speak English in the Netherlands, um, and then it's because it's a, you know huge huge um, place for bikes. The infrastructure in the Netherlands for biking is is amazing. Right. Um, and then Rotterdam is a cheaper city than Amsterdam as well, um, and it's a, it's a newer, younger kind of really really cool city. So we thought that we could get um, a lot of uh, interest from employees there as well. Cool. Um, so yeah. are you distributing to oh, yeah. much more of Europe from there? Yeah, yeah. So we're focused on distributing to uh, to all, all of Europe out of there. So we're constantly going to trade shows over there. Um, we're selling to every country in Europe right now. We have bike shops in, in, in almost every country in Europe, um, selling direct uh, online as well, um, and then selling to places outside of Europe. Uh, as well out of that office such as like you know even like russia so are you just um, shipping like I, I guess then you have a warehouse there and you just drop ship you know one two ten bikes to a shop if they want them that's right yeah we were doing we were doing the 3pl thing um in the very beginning so that we could have you know like as little um of our own infrastructure as possible um and realized that was just so expensive so we moved into our own warehouse and office space what is what's um, what's 3pl uh, it's a third-party uh, logistics center, ah, basically, okay. basically having other people um, warehouse our bikes um, and accept returns and um, and do all the fulfillment for us. Um, but that just proved to be so expensive and, and extremely complicated. And there was a lot of misships. And you know, the focus of our company um, uh, with with 
with giving like the best customer service just wasn't being met by using someone else who was doing our fulfillments. Um, so we decided to move everything in house as it is in Los Angeles as well, um, in Burbank. And uh, we've just been way better off. But yeah, we're, sh- we're shipping all over Europe. All right. Then a, a, a techie question for you. Then what kind of backend system do you guys use or um, what kind of sales software do you use for to manage that you know shopping cart to direct sales type thing? Yeah, so we're using Shopify for our e-commerce. Um, we're using NetSuite for our inventory and sales management, um, and th- those two integrate with each other. Um, those are those are really the main uh, the main tools as far as like communication goes. We're using Slack for our for our internal company um, communications. We're using Dropbox to um, you know store files and all that good stuff. Google Drive. Um, is Shopify works just as well for the Europe side of things. Yeah, yeah, Shopify works for the Europe side of things as well. Um, you know, they integrate with Avalara, which is um, you know handles all the tax, VAT stuff, and uh, NetSuite handles is is completely uh, um, handles what kind of you know every every place across the world with with all the tax and VAT complications as well. So um, it's it's been uh, it's been definitely difficult to launch a business in Europe and learn about their tax structures and. Um, all of that, but you know, we've put good software in, um, in place to be able to handle it. And so, what was the other one? Avalara. Avalara, yeah. Avalara. Okay, great, awesome, man. I'll put all that stuff in the show notes because I hadn't even heard of that one. So, cool. Right on. All right, for real this time, <laughs> we'll, we'll cool. wrap it up. But yeah, I appreciate it, Michael. That was awesome, man. Thanks for all the intel. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You know, big fan of Bike Rumor. Thank you guys for always featuring us. And uh, yeah, that's what we do. Thanks a lot. See ya. All right, thank you. If you've heard it once, you've probably heard it a hundred times by now. Perfect is the enemy of good. Michael says, just ship it. Sometimes that's the most important part of any startup is just getting that first product out the door. Yeah, it needs to be good enough, but you'll learn more from customer feedback in the real world than sitting around worrying that it's not perfect, and you'll be bringing in revenue in the meantime. What I found most impressive about PureCycle's story is just how little capital it took to launch their brand. They were able to scratch together a few thousand dollars each and order a container of bikes and sold them out in under two weeks. By reinvesting that capital in more product and growing organically, they quickly proved the model before taking on outside investment to fuel more rapid growth. If you're less concerned with making a truly unique product than you are with filling a need, there is someone in China making a product that you can import, brand, and sell, giving you a quick start from which to grow. This is the part where I normally ask you to subscribe and leave me a quick review on iTunes or Stitcher. Do you know why? because that's what helps me grow the audience, which helps me get bigger and better guests for you every week. And trust me, there are some really, really good ones coming up. But this time, I just wanted to let you know that I've started answering startup questions on Quora. So if you've got a question about entrepreneurship, ask it there and ping me to answer it. Thanks, and until next time, keep building.